Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Well, we are going through a series on the Psalms, not all 150 of the Psalms, but just picking out some selective Psalms. And uh, we have did Psalm 1 last week with Jim. This week we're going to look at Psalm 73, just to help set the scene here. Sometimes do you find living for Jesus hard at times as you look around at others and see how they're doing in life and what they're experiencing in life? particularly some unbelievers who seem to have this perfect family with healthy kids and plenty of money to do everything they'd like to do. And people who don't follow Jesus doing lots of really cool things and going to amazing places just living the life. And it just sort of, we look on sometimes and feel a bit sort of perhaps envious of what they've got or what they're experiencing. While at the same time I follow Jesus and serve in the church well, and it has its challenges doing that, I think it's tempting sometimes for us to look across and just maybe get a little bit envious or jealous of what we might see others experiencing. And even if you're not a believer today, you might have that same feeling as you look across at other people and see what they're experiencing. There's like envy or jealousy kicks in. Well, we're going to meet a man today who had this struggle, had this struggle. Now, the first half was read brilliantly by Russell, so try and keep that in your mind. And we're now going to follow on to read verses 16 to 28. And uh, follow that on. So, Psalm 73, and we're going to pick it up from verse 16. But, so there's a bit of a change here in this psalm, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good. Good to be near God. And I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, gather together. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your living eternal word. We thank you, God, that we get this opportunity to open this word up now. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak into our hearts through this word, that it would not be ink on pages. As we wrestle with the same thing that the psalmist Asaph wrestles with here, uh, would you help us to wrestle with strength and courage and truth to see a great and glorious God? Whom have I in heaven but you? May that ring in our hearts today by the end of this psalm, we pray. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Okay, so as we journey through the Psalms, we reach a Psalm here that is probably one of the most instructional and powerful of all the Psalms when you take it in its entirety and see what's happening here with this. It's a Psalm really that's close to home with all of us in some ways as well as we actually find ourselves perhaps standing in the shoes of Asaph as well. So we're told here it is a Psalm of Asaph. You might see that above Psalm 73 in your Bible there. And you might say, who is Asaph? I mean, I know David, he wrote lots of Psalms. Who's Asaph? Well, Asaph was a person that King David appointed to head up temple worship through song and music uh, in the temple when David was king. So he was appointed there, obviously gifted in music, and uh, that's who Asaph is. But we find him at this point in time, he has a crisis point of faith with God in his life. He's actually reached some sort of a crisis here. And what actually Asaph does is he writes a song about this crisis of faith. And in so doing, he connects deeply with us so that we too would look to God to be our all in all as we experience this crisis of faith that Asaph goes through as well. Here's where we're going to head today as we think about this. Uh, When God is my supreme delight and treasure, when he's like that, I can see rightly into this world to overcome all trials and temptations, looking forward ultimately to his glory. So we're going to head there in that direction as we think about what Asaph's going through here. Okay, Asaph has this crisis of faith. He has this massive problem of life that's come upon him. He's looking around the world, watching others, people who don't believe in God, not following the Lord, but they're enjoying life and seemingly doing it very easy. And he says this in verse 2 and 3, But as for me, this is Asaph talking about himself, but as for me, he's talking now in the sort of the past here, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious, envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was walking the road to glory. I was following you, Lord. I got distracted. I nearly stepped off the path and went in another direction. What was his issue? Well, he tells us there. He was envious. He was jealous of others who don't follow the Lord because they're at ease. And they're living the dream right now for what Asaph can see here in his context. And then he spends the next seven verses, which we won't bring them up on the screen for you, but we'll just quickly step through here as he describes what they're going through. Verse 4, he says there, uh, they cruise through life until death comes. They're doing it easy through life, then death comes. Verse 5, they seem to get around all trouble and they're not really brought down like us. They just seem to step around it and it doesn't really phase them too much at all. Verse 6, he says, they get around with pride. They're boastful, they're arrogant, they push others around in this ease and in this prosperity. Verse 7, you might see the words there, fatness of flesh and things like that. What he's saying there is, really, they flourish with the good things. They're like they're on a good paddock, as it were. And they're overflowing with pleasure or follies. They're just filled to the brim of all these good things. That's how they are. Verse 8 and 9, he says, then they actually have no time for God even to the point where they'll speak against God and they'll show everything they offer in this, they have in this world to others. This is part of this ease and this perhaps arrogance they have as well. And in verses 10 and 11, we're told there that people will look at them, look at their lifestyle, look at what they're involved in and say, well, it's working for them. Actually, 
don't even think God cares about who they are and what they're doing. They seem to be just getting on with life, experiencing all these things. Here's a summary then of those seven verses here where Asaph is talking about the ungodly. He says this. Well, he doesn't say this. This is me summarising. Look at the ungodly, not a care in the world, cruising through life, filling up on leisure and pleasure, planning the next getaway. They have no concern for God. For all intents and purposes, they're living the dream. Now, I know that's a bit of a generalisation in the sense of all those things there, because we do know sometimes ungodly do experience hard things, but we also can look on and see perhaps the good side of what they're experiencing, and that's how it comes across to us at times. Asaph looks on all of this, and he's jealous. He wishes that we're him living that dream. He wishes that we're him in their shoes experiencing what they're experiencing. And if you think about it, it's really easy for us today to fall into that same mindset. We live in a beautiful world created by God. Uh, we drove back home from Shoalhaven Heads last Sunday and we drove through Kangaroo Valley. Has anybody been through Kangaroo Valley? A few hands going up. It is a beautiful place. Beautiful place. Just up in the mountains. It's a gorgeous place. Our Western culture there is, is, is overflowing overflowing with delight and pleasure and comfort and all amount of leisure activities. There's lots of people just walking the street in Kangaroo Valley last week despite the pouring rain and enjoying themselves there. And we can so easily watch on with this that sometimes with all this happening around about us that it begins to affect us as we see what others are going through. Our friends just down the road, you might think in your mind, have just bought this brand new four-wheel drive and camper trailer. I wish that was me. My workman has just lined up for another holiday in Asia. You sort of think, I wish that was me. Or I just saw on Instagram the, the wardrobe that she has. I would die for those clothes. You might think like that when you see that and you say, I wish that was me. We can so easily look on with envy and jealousy when we see these things happening and wish that were me. Asa finishes here with verse 12 and he says this as he rounds it out. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. That's the problem he's dealing with here. This is the context of where Asaph is, and this is what his mind is grappling with. But now we're going to hear about some of his pain as he shares that with us as well through this psalm. Look in verse 13 and 14. He begins to show us some of the pain. He says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Can you hear what he's saying here? What's the point? Why have I lived a godly life? It's all in vain that I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I look over there and I see what they're enjoying, the happiness, the fun, the leisure, and they're basking in it, and it's killing me as I look across at them. It's in vain. What have I done this for? See, this is the crisis of faith that Asaph is experiencing here in Psalm 73. He's saying, God, are you worth it? Is this worth it? Is God real anyway? Perhaps that thought might have gone through Asaph's mind at this point. Have I bought into a lie? This is the crisis now that he's actually dealing with in his mind. And as Christians... Following Jesus, we can easily feel the same pain at times. 
if I wasn't so committed to church, if I just backed off coming on Sundays and took it easy, if I just took the, you know, the, the foot off the pedal a bit, I could go camping every month. Every month. All this time I've now got available. I could hit the great outdoors. I could travel to Kangaroo Valley. I could enjoy myself up there. I could sit back, relax and enjoy myself resting and being refreshed. Wouldn't that be unreal if I just took the foot off the pedal and weren't so committed to church? It's a tempting thought that goes through our mind. Or, if I didn't give 10% of my money to the church every week, just imagine what I could do. Just imagine, I could get that car I've always wanted. That holiday that I've always dreamed about, instead of giving 10% to the work of the gospel, I can just leave it in my bank account and I can see that actually my holiday come to fruition. That home renovation that I've planned to do for years, all of a sudden, if I don't give that money to the church, I'll have money to do that. These are tempting thoughts that go through our mind. Think of Damien and Hannah and Mauritius. Do we really want to be separated from family? Boy, it would be just nice to perhaps live back in Australia and be a bit closer. It's a temptation sometimes that when we look upon others and see what they're going through, it can put doubts in our mind. Is this real? Have I bought into a lie? What am I doing? I feel it myself at times. I'm not immune to this. Every time I drive in on Sunday morning, I drive right past Bill and Beat's Cafe in Marupna. And what do you expect I see there? I see people sitting at the front, sitting in the sun, sipping on a coffee, eating breakfast. It looks lovely, and it is lovely. It's fantastic. And I think, oh, I'm going back to church again. I'm serving. It's just, I'd like to be sitting over there maybe having some scrambled eggs and a cup of coffee. I don't think like that every Sunday, right? It's just some Sundays you drive past and think, it's tempting. That just looks so wonderful over there. Now, I'm not paid by Bill and Beach to advertise either, okay? So. But if you want to give me 10% off, I'll take that as well. It can awaken doubts in our hearts when we see these things. It can. Is God real? Is it worth it? What's the point of me doing what I'm doing here? Asaph finishes here in verse 16. He says this, But when I thought how to understand this, It seemed to me a wearisome task. He's trying to process all this. He's trying to compute it in his mind. Maybe he sat down with a coffee at Bill and Beats, I don't know, and he's going to think it through. How do I do this? How can I make any sense of this? The ungodly are cruising through life. They're at ease and they're prospering. While I sacrifice and labour for what? Often all I get is more challenge living in this difficult world following Jesus. Let me suggest here, there's a deeper issue at stake for Asaph than what he's actually thinking about. It's it's the surface, but there's something deeper here taking place in Asaph's heart and mind. I think it's this. There's two realities in this world. There is the seen reality that we can all see now. You can see me and hear me, and I can see you and hear you, and we can actually have conversations and see stuff all around us. There's that. But there's also the unseen reality as well. The seen reality, believe it or not, is the lesser reality of life. And the unseen reality is the greater reality of life. That doesn't make sense, but that's all right. That's how it is. The seen is the lesser reality. It's still real. 
But the unseen reality is the greater reality of life. And the seen reality is what we are experiencing right now in all of its pains and in all of its pleasures of this world. In the seen reality, we experience a whole range of good things that bring us pleasure. Family, relationships, good health, rest and relaxation, a drive through Kangaroo Valley. There's a whole range of good things that we experience in this present and seen reality. But we also experience a range of things in this seen reality that bring us grief and pain. Sickness, death, anger, hurt, anxiety, broken relationships. It's seen and it's reality we've got right now, but it brings us pain, not pleasure. Here's Asaph's deeper issue. He's focusing on the present seen reality, the lesser reality, more than the unseen greater reality. He's being consumed by what he can see around about him in the present. And as he focuses on this present seen reality... He's also experiencing the mystery of God's providence, the way God ordains his affairs through this world. And he's thinking, Lord, why are the ungodly who don't deserve anything from you experiencing all these good things while I follow you hard and walk through all this hardship? Why, Lord? Asas' mind there, we heard, is wearied. It was a wearisome task, he says, trying to sit there and think through all this. I don't get it. His, his vision here is focused on the seen reality and he's lost sight of the unseen greater reality at his point, this point in time in his life. Well, something's about to happen here for Asaph that will help him begin to see the unseen greater reality. He's about to get a renewed vision of the unseen. Look at verse 17. Now, verse 17 obviously follows straight on from verse 16. So it's a wearisome task to take all this in. And then he says in verse 17, until. It's a really important word there. There's a real point of break in this psalm. Until I went to this into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Something's happened here with Asaph in his mind. There's a massive change in this psalm right here. Asaph has walked into the house of God, the temple, the sanctuary, and something's happened. His vision has been renewed. His eyes have been opened up. Now, we don't know what was going on in the temple that day, but possibly someone was praying when Asaph goes in there and he heard their prayer. Or someone could have been reading out some of the scripture, some of the Torah, the Old Testament at that time. Or someone may have even been singing a song as Asaph goes into the sanctuary or the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit then has taken whatever that has happened there and used that prayer or scripture or a song to open up his eyes afresh to the unseen greater reality of God. And here's what the first thing that God unveiled to him as he, walked, as he had this uh, fresh vision. And he discerned first for the ungodly God's judgment. Verse 18, truly truly you set them so he's talking about the unbelievers reveling in this life but they've got their backs turned toward God truly you set them in slippery places you make them fall to ruin then over the next two verses Asaph opens up the judgment on the ungodly here as they turn their back on the Lord now you may be enjoying a life of pleasure and leisure in this world in defiance of who God is but he's saying here judgment is coming judgment is coming 
Now, I'm not going to land on God's right judgment today, but just again to tell you, if you read through the Bible, there are plenty of references and instances there to God's right judgment coming. That's just another one right there. What I want us to do, though, I want us to look a bit more at what Asaph sees here of this greater reality of God. And also, he gets a, a snapshot into his own life at the same time as he's processing all this. And what we see next here is the grace and the mercy of God towards Asaph in his self-focused and his bitter attitude to life and also towards God. Have a look in verse 21. He says this, Asaph talking about himself, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, he's saying, Oh God, when I was bitter towards you, complaining, I felt stabbed in the heart by your action that you were being unfair towards me. You took things away from me and life didn't go as I planned it. And I said, I felt bitter at that time. I felt stabbed in the heart. And then he goes on, verse 22. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Asaph's giving a reality check of his own life during this process. He's just telling us what was happening in his own mind and describing himself here. How could I act in such bitterness and despair towards you, God, as I falsely compared myself to others and their good fortune at this time? How could I do that? What was I? I was acting, he says there, like an ignorant and senseless beast towards you. It's not going to do great for your self-esteem to think about yourself like that, but he's actually just being real. I was bitter. I was like this ignorant, senseless beast the way I was trying to process life and process who you are. I wasn't seeing all your goodness towards me, Lord. All I could see was what I was missing out on. That's where my focus was. Now look at next what he sees here in this attitude of being a brute beast. This is a beautiful transition here as well. Look at verse 23. So he's, he's attitude of a brute beast, he's embitterment, and he's saying, this is what I saw. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Think about that for just a moment. Think about 21 and 22 and then verse 23. What we see here is a, an incredible picture of God's grace to someone who's bitter and someone who's acting like a beast. What did Asaph deserve in this attitude of bitterness or this attitude of ignorance and being like a senseless beast? Well, he's really acting like a child. He's just angry. He's bitter. Well, a child normally deserves discipline or you know, some sort of to sort of actually correct that behaviour. That's what you'd think they would do. But what does he get from God in this position here? He says that, God, you were with me right in the middle of my bitterness and my complaining. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You didn't leave me. You didn't depart from me. But look next what he gets. Not only that, God, you are holding my hand all the way through that, through my bitterness, through my complaining. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you, and you hold my right hand. That's loving grace from God, totally undeserved by Asaph shown to him. That's the sort of revelation when we're in bitterness and um, unfairness and acting like a child, yet God is there with us, 
doesn't depart from us, doesn't leave us, holds our hand through all that, that's the sort of grace that should take our breath away. That's not what Asaph deserves, but that's what God gives him. I'm receiving all of God's goodness in this world, but all I can see that God is holding out of me and he's being unfair towards me. But no, God never leaves him. God doesn't drop his hand and say, if that's the way you want it, Asaph, have it your way. I'm out. God doesn't do that. Even through uh, navigating Asaph through this mysterious providence, God's mysterious ways that we can't understand why we're experiencing this pain at this particular time, God is holding my hand all the way through that. Asaph's beginning to see here a renewed vision of the greater reality of God in the middle of difficult times. He goes further in verse 24, he says this, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. God, you guide me with your truth through the pain of this world. You help me to accept these difficult circumstances I'm in, and then you enable me with that counsel to make the right choices and the right reactions in life, dealing with what's in front of me, dealing with what I can actually see in the present reality. You're there, you're with me. This is now the greater reality that he's beginning to see. That you also, Asaph says, oh, you'll receive me to glory. Ultimately, the tears, the trials, the temptations of this world will come to an end. They will be over. I'll know you and be in your perfect love and your peace and joy in glory forever. He's getting a renewed vision of the greater reality, which is the unseen at this particular time for him. Now, I think all of us whether a believer or an unbeliever, recognise a greater reality. Even the unbeliever thinks there's something beyond this world. There's something greater here beyond what I can see at the present time. And this is what Asaph's now beginning to see, a, a clear vision of this greater reality. Have a look next, where Asaph has landed now in the middle of this seen reality of difficult circumstances, but he's getting this renewed vision here of a greater reality that he can't see physically. He summarises next with this really stunning understanding of who God is when he takes all this in, in his bitterness, and his brutish, ignorant attitude, and he sees that God's been with him all the way through that, and God's holding his hand. He says this in verse 25. He says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He's working it out now. You are my everything, Lord. Who else in this universe can do what you do? Who else would stay with me when I was bitter and acting like a brute beast? Whom have I in heaven but you? There's no one else who would accept me as I am. But you do. Verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail, Asaph says. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Not just for today. Not just through this hard season I'm in. But forever. The seen reality will crash and burn one day. My heart and my life will fail. It's a given. But look... God, you are my strength and my portion forever. Even when everything else fails and everything else will ultimately fail in our life, you won't, Lord. You will be there. 
You are supremely my greatest treasure, Lord. And there's nothing on this earth that I desire more than you. When we begin to get this vision of who God is and what he's done for us, that's how that vision begins to open up in our lives. That God is our treasure. He is the one who holds our hands through the difficult challenges of the world we live in. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us today. The Son of God came to reveal the Father to us once again. We'd lost sight of that totally and completely. Jesus, who is God in human form, came to reconcile us and to give us a vision of who God is, and he is our sovereign creator and our saviour. Jesus does this at the cross when he bears all our guilt and shame and condemnation and the spirit unveils it in our hearts. We see the greater reality that we now have in Christ. He makes that possible for us to see the unseen. Now, as we land this this morning, how does this work for us today? Well, there's probably a whole mountain of application you can draw here. Well, we live in this challenging world and experiencing doubts at times, crisis of faith. It's not going as I planned, Lord. People who don't follow you, well, well it's working out okay for them. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should be looking there. I don't know. I've got this thing happening. What did Asaph do at this really low point of life when this crisis was there? What did he do? Well, he came to church. He came to a gathering just like we're doing this morning. He walked into the sanctuary. He walked into the church. And the Holy Spirit used something that day to awaken Asaph in this crisis of faith, to clear his vision. That's why we gather here this morning at Exchange. That's why we gather every Sunday. The Holy Spirit uses the gathering of believers to help shift our focus from the seen reality. It's here. Help shift it from just seeing this to seeing something far greater in the unseen. The unseen reality of Jesus Christ. It's a time where we use to reset our vision as we gather on Sundays. In this present reality, we are confronted by a mix of pain and pleasure every day, right throughout the week. And it's just filling up our headspace. It's filling up our vision all the time. And what can that do? It both serves to cloud our vision of the greater reality of God. The present clouds out the um, unseen greater reality. So what do we do? We gather. We gather here this morning. What do we do? We sing about the gospel. We have conversations with each other after the service or before the service. And we talk about life centred around Jesus. What do we do? We pray with each other. We have some corporate prayer at the front here. I mean, you might have a conversation there. We actually pray with a brother or sister in Christ. What else do we do? When we gather, we also make it a priority to open up God's word, to open the Bible up, to let God speak to us through his word. And the truth of God's word washes over our minds. What happens when we gather like this? Well, the Holy Spirit takes any or all of these elements of things we do as we gather together and he uses those to lift our eyes, to open up our heart, to see the unseen. It's a supernatural work that the Holy Spirit does to see the big reality of God. He uses all of those things just to... to Get our focus off the, uns- off the scene, which is here, but then to lift it up to the unseen, to give us the right way to think about the scene. So when I'm tempted by trials, 
and seeing others who are seemingly cruising through life, the Spirit opens my eyes up to keep looking at the greater reality that is around us. And when I see that, when I come today and I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ, with all of you, it does something for me. It fills me with strength. It fills me with hope. It gives me a vision again of the greater reality. So I'm not swamped by the present reality. In fact, just like Asaph here, by faith, God has hold of my hand and is leading me all the time. He, Asaph reminds me of that today through his son, through this present reality. He's, God's holding my hand all the way through that. Now, by faith, metaphorically, I'm saying that. And keeping me from dipping down too far into bitterness. Now, sometimes we might just drop down a little bit, but then we get awakened out of that. And then getting bogged down in envy or jealousy because I can see everybody else and what they're experiencing. Asaph's reminding us we walk by faith and not by sight. And today as we gather, that's what's awakening our hearts again afresh. So, we're sort of a couple of weeks into 2024. Wouldn't it be a good thing to make a renewed commitment to gathering with God's people this year? Seeing the benefits that God gives to us, the grace that he communicates to us through gathering. So not making church an option if only I can fit it in. Not making church an option, well, if I just happen to wake up in time. Not making church an option, well, I've got a few things planned this week, I'm not really sure it's going to be that high on the priority list. The moment we do that, we're going to be swamped by the seen present reality and we'll lose vision of the unseen reality. What is community and gathering? Community and gathering is uh, God's grace to help us grow strong in him, treasure Jesus better than anything in this world and anything else in this universe. Community and gathering is where God's spirit lifts our vision to see the greater reality which then enables us to live right and overcome the present reality with all of its pain and pleasure, treasuring Christ. That's what Asaph saw here as he went through Psalm 73. And again, in a way, God does it this morning. He lifts our vision and awakens us to the, uh, to the greater unseen reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can uh, come together. Lord, we thank you uh, for Psalm 73. We thank you, Lord, again, that uh, we live in this present seen reality. So many things clouding our vision. So many things, Lord, uh, vying for space in our head, Lord, and filling up all of our thoughts. Sometimes we can look on and become bitter towards you, complain that you're being unfair towards us as we're clouded by this present seen reality. Holy Spirit, I pray today, please would you take an aspect whether it's a prayer, whether it's a song, whether it's your word now, to take that again to lift our vision, to see the unseen greater reality. That, God, we have a treasure in you. That, Lord, you do not depart from me, you do not leave me. That you're walking with me through this valley or season of despair and pain. Not only are you walking with me, you are holding my hand as a tender sign of affection. Asaph didn't deserve that, Lord. We don't deserve that. 
But out of your grace and your love and your mercy, that's who you are. Please open our eyes up to see that today so that we would treasure you and we would live for your glory. Lord, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.